0: The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they managed to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm here as always with my co-host John Cunet and special guest co-host Madeline Cerullo. Today we're going to delve into all things Ted Lasso, Season 1 and 2. We might break that up into uh, into two episodes and even preview our thoughts and hopes and dreams for Season 3. Uh, so, But first, I want to intro Madeline Cerullo. Madeline, welcome. Good morning. How Thank are you, you doing?
1: Good. Good.
0: Fantastic. We're excited to have you here. This, I'm sure this will be the first of many... Drive podcast appearances for you. Yes, um, maybe even a Madeline spinoff. Who knows?
2: Yeah. I Fair hope enough.
0: so. Glam Drive. Yeah. That's right. what I said. We've, Glam we've Drive. Talked, <laughs> we've, we've talked. <laughs> we've thrown out ideas. It's in the works. Um, Madeline is a clinical director at Riser and Tread. You know, on the team with John and I, and uh, we're very lucky to have her on the team at Riser and Tread, and also here for the podcast. So we're excited um, to get into into Ted Lasso. So. You know, Ted Lasso. Just to talk about. I mean, most people know what this show is. Obviously, if you haven't, spoiler alert: we're going to get into things that reveal <laughs> plot, plot lines, characters, yeah, our favorite, um, you know, scenes or epi- or episodes or things like that from the show. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, definitely encourage you to go watch it. I think it's one. I think it broke the record for Emmys one and all kinds of other records yeah. on Apple TV and things like that. It is available on Apple TV. Uh, I went. I watched it first with my, I think my my brother in law. He has Apple, has Apple TV, so I was just binge watching it over there, and then uh, just went and did a a, a free seven day trial to to you know go back in and do a little deep dive. Yeah, probably spent way too much time on it <laughs> getting ready for this episode. But yeah. there's been two seasons so far. Um, the third one's in the works. I think it's in production in February 2022, coming out in the summer of 2022. The writing's genius. It's equal parts kind of like funny, sports centric, uh, emotional. Um, there weren't many expectations coming in. We've talked a lot about expectations, right? I think right. when expectations are mm-hmm. low, it kind of benefits the end result. Um, so how it came to be, I'm gonna talk about that a little bit and just go through kind of a quick overview of the seasons. And then we're gonna get into like sort of your main kind of key thing or takeaway or the the one thing you guys really like about the show, and then we'll we'll go from there. Um, so it actually came to be, from a 2000 I thought it was from a Saturday Night Live skit it wasn't his dancing is from a Saturday Night Live skit the dance he does um you guys ever see What's Up With That the I skit, the
3: skit. No. I haven't seen the skit no. you, have to,
0: you have to google once, right. or you you know on YouTube watch What's Up With That it's it's run by Keenan I think okay Keenan okay. right yeah he hosts this you know fictitious game show and, yeah uh Jason Sudeikis is like a backup dancer on the show so that's where that <laughs> where he first kind of showed that dance but the the Ted Lasso kind of character came from a 2012 commercial as a joke, and then they redid it in 2013. Um, Beard was even in it; Coach Beard was even in it as his oh, assistant. I didn't I know this. No idea. This yeah. was I just this is part. We're going to get to the in the second episode. We're going to go into like an internet kind of deep dive a little bit because okay. um, there's some funny funny things I found just by by searching about the show. But that's how it started. I didn't know that, and obviously, if you watch the YouTube video, it's like five, the first one. I think each of them are five minutes. The one from 2012 and right. from 2013. Yeah. I think it aired during like a Champions League kind of thing. Oh, probably. And it was yeah. supposed to be like a spoof, like American coach in Europe. Yeah. And it was it was hilarious. <laughs> you can see why like they instantly wanted to turn it into a show. Yeah. Um. But so that's where it came from. <clears throat> Spoiler alert! As we go into this, I don't know about you guys, but like there's a lot of profanity in the show, and I'm mm-hmm. going to swear. So yeah. just you know, yeah. for all the kiddos, earmuffs out there, right? If, yeah. if, if kids listening, <laughs> right. um, it's, it, it there's gonna be some swearing. So the main premise is there's this American football coach. Uh, hired by the owner of a, of a fictitious Premier League soccer team to be their head coach as part of an effort by her to sabotage her own team. So she became owner as part of a divorce from her cheating husband, the wonderful Rupert. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into him, I'm sure. She knows he loves the team more than anything, and if she can sabotage the team and get them relegated, it would crush him and she would get her revenge. You know, the whole hell hath no fury like a woman scorned kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, where does that come from? I don't know. I think it's a no idea. play. I think it's a play. In,
1: but go Rebecca. Yes.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> so season one, we'll kind of go through the main, I would say the main concept. Season one is like a major league-like story. You guys ever see Major League? Yep. Okay. 1989. It's a baseball-centric uh, movie about, you know, this, this woman who takes over a team from her husband who passed away and just wants to sabotage the team so she can move the team to a different city from Cleveland to Miami, right. wants to be around the South Beach, uh, you know, nightlife, that kind of thing. And obviously it, it backfires. Um, so that's the major, the, the main theme of season one is that major league-like storyline. Um, there's also the importance of having like a positive players coach and other, uh, other subplots. Season two kind of gets more into like mental health and sports, which obviously we care about. That's the whole point of this podcast is looking at mental health through the lens of sports. So that's the main theme. Also gets into like our past coming back to haunt us. Relationships are key in, in uh, both seasons, but especially season two. And then other subplots. So that's like the main kind of uh, theme of the show. So before we get into, we're going to get into like kind of key lessons, uh, favorite scenes, favorite characters, things like that from each season. Before we get into that, I just want to kick it to you guys just to kind of get your, your one thing that you really love about the show or that you want to talk about. If you had to talk about one thing, what would it be? And I'll start with you, Madeline.
1: Okay. Um, well, I think that the reason why I watch the show is because the characters are so well written. I think we'll talk about our favorite characters later, but it's so hard to pick one because all of them
2: very true. Yeah are like just four. so yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, they all have their own kind of individual piece about them that like keeps you engaged. Mm-hmm. Um I also just love Ted Lasso. I gotta yeah. say, that's the one thing. Yeah. If I had to pick it would be Ted Lasso. There you go.
3: How I know. It feels doing? like a cop out, but I like – Yeah, seriously. My right, right, favorite go, we're we're right, character. Right, go Led to Tass- or okay. Lantaso. Tasso. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm I'm looking oh, at like Led Tasso. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah, My my favorite character like Ted Lasso. Right. So, but mm-hmm. we'll 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 get into some of that stuff too. Honestly, maybe it's a little bit of a curveball, but one of the things that I really really liked, and I don't know if they're going to expand upon this in season three at all. I doubt it but the fact that he makes the biscuits for rebecca is i don't i don't know why it like sticks that's with me yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. like one of my favorite things that <clears throat> i think it's just like a representation of like his mental like i'm just going to keep coming at you with yeah. positivity and kindness and i'm just going to keep going and we'll talk a little bit about over optimism and potential dangers of that. But I really dug that whole like idea with um, yeah. him making biscuits and her like, uh, like rejecting it and then just like wearing her down. And then now she like can't go her day without them. I just loved that. Like that uh, comparison. That was one of my favorite parts of the mm-hmm. of the show. As like yeah. a consistent theme that's been going through mm-hmm. both seasons. Yeah, no, that is fantastic. I'm
0: actually going to come at that from a, a di- same thing but different angle. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of cheating. I have two quasi ones. Obviously, the Ted Lasso quips and sayings are, yeah. are kind of what makes the show money. The positive roles of, of a coach, I think, is like something that really hit me at first because we talk a lot about that, about how, especially with male coaches and especially in the UK, I would guess, right? We yeah. talked about how they're a little bit behind when it comes to mental health. The coach, the male coaches just tend to be the opposite of Ted Lasso. They tend to be like barking orders and authoritarian and kind of vicious and that kind of thing. And So that was a breath of fresh air. So I'm cheating a little bit because that's not my main one. My main one is the biscuits in the pink box. Now, you came at it. So we're tied, right? You, yeah. you came at it from the angle of him. You probably came at it from a better angle. Him doing that kind of gesture for Rebecca. My angle is just Rebecca consuming the biscuits and like <laughs> i find that like endlessly entertaining there's yeah. so many like she's Devours such an emotional them. eater and <laughs> yeah. it's like someone after my own heart with that like i watch her and it's just like hilarious like mm-hmm. just because when i get stressed that's what i, I mean yeah. that's what i do i just like munch on all donuts and cookies and whatever that kind of thing so seeing the way she eats and i'm, I'm gonna go ahead a little bit because there's one thing i found on the internet so i'll just reveal it now like, apparently She Hate the Biscuits tasted horrible. I I did a deep dive. In real life? In real life, they tasted, first they tasted horrible. Then the team found out she thought they tasted horrible and they made them taste great. And so later in season one and then into season two, they actually tasted good. Oh,
3: good. So it's funny. She's like,
0: she said something like that was my best acting job of the whole show was making those (laughs) things taste, seem like they taste great.
3: I'd be interested to know if, if she knew of the Switch and then, like, if, if the first time she tasted the new better biscuits was like that during a recording yes. and like yes. getting like a genuine reaction be, of like, whoa, whoa this yes. is yes. way yes. better. They taste
0: great now. I'd be curious about that. I did find a recipe for the 10 lasso you biscuits. Did. So I'll share that with you guys because we're going to have, I mean, you know, Malin made us fantastic <laughs> gingerbread cookies. Yeah. By the way, John, you left though. This is yeah, getting so off topic, rude. but you so left rude. half those uneaten in <laughs> the office, and I told you you can't do that around me, man. <laughs> I know. Okay? Yeah, I had, I had a piece. I Had a piece. What do you want from me? I, I warned you. now. Okay? All right. Know. So we're gonna have to have one of us yes. is gonna have to make the biscuits and at least try it out. Um, but that just the it's just an endless like plot device, kind of humor device because. There's even the part, like, this gets into season two a little bit, so I'll, I'll rein it in. But, like, when the, uh, Dr. Fieldstone doesn't eat sugar, she calls her a fucking asshole, <laughs> um, which is just hilarious. Yeah. Like, who doesn't eat sugar? And then um, when Ted makes them with salt instead of sugar by accident, she, like, reacts strongly, but then actually says, like, oh, my God, they're actually pretty good and calls them, like, a sneaky, salty bitch. And it's yeah. just like, oh, my God. Hilarious. So that the yeah. this gets in the pink box, I feel like. It's just not, you, I've never seen anything like that in another show. Mm-hmm. And I think, right. like, even the little box they're in, you just, like, want totally them really bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's my thing. The
1: only other person he's given them to is Higgins, right? When Higgins returned. That's
0: right. Yeah, yeah that's right.
1: Only
3: other person. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's did he give half eaten ones from Dr. Fieldstone to Oh, Rebecca, or did he just lie about that jokingly and then give her own box? I think he lied about it and yeah, gave her own I box. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think right. so. Yeah,
1: or there's a scene where she eats it between chocolate he g- gives her. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, he's like gives her chocolate and the biscuits, and like as he's telling her she should eat the biscuits as a sandwich with the chocolate, she's already taking a bite as a sandwich (laughs) with the chocolate. It's really good. There's
0: another scene (laughs) with chocolate that's hilarious. The we'll get into this, but the Christmas episode where Keeley is prepping for sexy Christmas, yes, and she just can't resist like just sticking her tongue out and getting liquid chocolate from that thing, the fondue (laughs) thing she's making. Yeah, I was like. I can relate to being tempted to do that as well if you're trying to prepare that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, totally. Okay. So we just went off on like a, a pink uh, cookie box dink di- I, deep dive. <laughs> excuse my language. Um, I'm going to kick it to you guys. So we're going to get into season one here. We're going to start with key lessons. Um, I'll start with you, John, on this one. i kicked kick you sure. now on the first one. So from from a season one perspective... What were the key lessons that you learned, you know, it could be from psychology, it could be anything, just life lessons, that kind of thing you go.
3: Yeah, we've actually talked about this like off air a little bit too, but one of the things that really stood out to me was just like the and this is this is just all credit to the writing cuz you know they spent an enormous amount of time doing this, but like the the cultivation of all the different relationships and like the intricacies between Ted and Rebecca and Rebecca mm-hmm. and the team and like how there's like this momentum shift throughout the throughout the season um and one of the key components that i found was that there was like a really healthy dose of accountability and anyone who knows me knows that i am like i do my crying when i'm watching tv shows like <laughs> i'm
0: the same Movie, i did not th- especially yeah. the animals man That's it like, gets me
3: every single time yeah, if there's yeah. like a person who's crying on tv yeah. it's like instantaneous yep, yep. like uh and i um Al and I watch Queer Eye. Have you guys seen that show? Uh, we yes. could do another one. In the one past, on that. not recently. We could do yeah, another episode. Yeah, yeah. Every every episode it's just like <laughs> uncontrollable <laughs> crying. And one of the things that brought it out for me in season 1 was like there was a really healthy dose of accountability yeah. mm-hmm. that I saw within the relationships mm-hmm. of like someone making a mistake and addressing it, owning it,
2: mm-hmm.
3: talking to the person about that, and I found that so refreshing. Not taking it personally. Not taking yeah, it yeah, personally yeah. and like trying to understand that the person was either maybe misguidedly mentioned something off-putting but or just trying to like tell that they were doing something that was upsetting for them Mm -hmm. and that really stuck with me I don't know why that stood out so much to me maybe we just don't see enough of it in other TV shows Mm -hmm. or just in general Um, but that was probably my for for season one like that was the number one thing that I noticed like when they were doing relationship development they clearly spent time focusing on like this is how we want some of this stuff to go and that really stood out to me Um, and that was nice to see and I think that And Like when we're talking about relationships or I'm talking about relationships with clients, Mm -hmm. like accountability is a part of that and like not taking things personal. And I can't I can't there's so much of that that I talk about with with clients or with parents um, that it was nice to hear. Um, it was nice to see that in real time and how i mean we always talk about it like the importance of accountability bringing relationships together mm-hmm. that can cause difficult conversations and i sound like a broken record when i when i go through this whole spiel but then to actually see it and then it work effectively was just like refreshing because I, I think sometimes we we don't see that as much as we should
0: yeah it's interesting because I, I didn't even think about this until you just said it but season one accountability in in relationships or in everyday life definitely comes through in season two they almost shift that into vulnerability. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, that dynamic between yeah. being accountable and allowing yourself to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. which is the, 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 duo is so important. Do you have any examples specifically? And you don't have to, but do you have any examples from, from season one about accountability that stuck out?
3: I'd have to think about it. Um, come back to me. It'll pop Okay, into my, It'll yeah, pop, yeah. One of the scenes will pop into my head, but, um, there was so, there was so many, I think one, I mean, the big one and this might be blurring into season two, but I think it was season one. Um, was, like, the, the, the relationship between... I mean, that ended the relationship, but mm-hmm. not really, between him and his ex-wife. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of him just finally being, like, I'm holding on to this. And, yeah. you know, that this isn't this isn't what, what you want. This is what I'm trying to force yep. to want. Yep. And him just being, like, taking ownership of that and allowing the relationship... You know, I, I would say the relationship to grow and move, right. maybe not together, but it was a healthy decision for him to be able to, like, take that on and then to be able to let, like let her go. I don't know if I really, I don't know if it's let her go, but I think it's about just understanding that that relationship is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and by taking that accountability, being able to like, let both people start to continue to move in their, um, in their lives.
0: This actually, I'm going to kick it to you in a second, Madeline. This sure. this, this actually relates to one of the ones I had for key lessons and that's like the limits of optimism. Because so I think at, part of that right, accountability that, so. is how yeah. his okay. optimism I think his wife even says like, it's just, it it was impossible for her to be around. Like he's too optimistic. I think she says something like that. And then, you know, coach Beard finally flips out on him for this kind of thing and says like, look, winning does matter. Uh, it's okay to be competitive, which is another kind of theme. I had a key lesson that it's, is okay to be competitive, but there's a lit like optimism is great. But if you're just seeing everything every day through rose colored glasses, that is kind of a form of denial. In my opinion, It's Mm -hmm. it's a form of emotional suppression. You know, you are sort of deluding yourself into thinking everything's fine. It doesn't mean we don't want optimism. It just means we have to be, I don't know what the percentage is, but we have to be optimistic while also being honest with ourselves about the things that we're not okay with or that do hurt our feelings or that make us feel down and be emotionally upfront with ourselves about that to give us, I think we've talked a lot about when it comes to emotions and how to cope with those in a healthy way, you have to first acknowledge and accept that they're happening and really just sit, be able to sit with them, give them their due. Otherwise you are kind of pushing it down. So it relates to that. That Coach Beard finally flipping out on him, I thought, was, like, really well-timed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it relates to why his wife, I think, was just couldn't, you know, eventually kind of drifted and it grew apart from him a little bit, was that it was too difficult to be around. So um, any thoughts on that or, or we can go into your Yeah, your no, key. It's,
1: it's a good segue because I think one of the things I noticed about season one and then season two is, like, season one felt like the characters were self-destructing, like all of them in their own way, mm-hmm. whereas season two it feels like it's, like, they're re- branding of themselves mm-hmm. um but i thought like a key takeaway was like forgiveness because i think that to pair off of the c- accountability piece yeah there's so much forgiveness that happens and not necessarily between two other individuals like sure rebecca and ted and rebecca and keely and Re- um, rebecca and higgins like there's a all these different avenues in which i guess rebecca is having to um actually apologize to a lot of different individuals mm-hmm. but it's forgiveness of self like mm-hmm. i think that Um, You talk about Ted being over optimistic, but then you see him like being super self-destructive and like drinking a lot and like so much distress. Um, And so it just proves that like, even though people present as a certain way in particular roles that like at the end of the day, there is some of this like really negative coping that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you both were kind of in line with what I was thinking about is just like and Ted just like really leading with his emotion brain like. Just like drastic changes to line up, and like you know, getting drunk over the divorce papers, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, his wife's son visits, like all those different moving parts. I feel like were in line with that.
0: Yeah, and never has that been more like that uh, relationship between how we present ourselves versus what's really going on mm-hmm. been more kind of relevant than today with social media and things like that. Because I think you see that kind of dichotomy quite a bit with people, kind of how they present themselves online versus what you probably know is going on behind the perfect edited picture and, and things yeah. like that. And it's interesting because you mentioned forgiveness. And I think um, that ties into a, a key lesson I have, which was like how to handle bullies or difficult people. Because I think mm-hmm. his Ted Lasso specifically, his ability to forgive really kind of wraps into how he deals with difficult people. Right, um, Jamie uh, Tart being one of them, right? Uh-huh. You know, the whole, I mean, Jamie Tart's a great, great character. So I'm not <laughs> like, it's <laughs> worth it. Right. Yeah. But um, he, you know, leaves, he, he leaves that team, goes to a different team. Um, and then they, you know ends up beating them at, at the end of the season by making that extra pass. And Ted Lasso gives him the the note in the Army figurine, kind of giving credit mm-hmm. for taking that extra pass, even after he you know, really just did, did everything to criticize Ted Lasso or throw everything in his face right. or whatever. That's like the ultimate example of forgiveness and, and how you right. tr- handle people like that. I wish I could handle people like that in real <laughs> life. I'd love to say I do. I don't. Um, yeah. I think it's an area I could probably grow in. So maybe I'll take I'll, yeah. I'll take a little page out of Ted Lasso's playbook on that. Um, we talk a lot about you know in our work working mostly not all but mostly with young guys in therapy about you know how sometimes guys aren't ready for therapy and you have to let them walk away. So I think that's probably how I relate to it a little bit more. Is that I've had young guys who you know I know would benefit from the work um, if they gave it a chance. Not not many, but they just you know they've walked away before they're willing to commit to it. They stormed out,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and sometimes. We talk a lot to the team about this, but sometimes you have to be that therapist who they do that to and you have to not take it personally mm-hmm. um, in case they come back because you're mm-hmm. modeling the right trustworthy behavior that you're not going to abandon just because they flipped out or didn't weren't ready right away. Or they're never going to come back to you, but that experience is something that's going to hit them later on and convince them to maybe go to a different therapist. So right. that's kind of how I relate to it. Any other key lessons from season one from, from either of you?
1: Well, I just have to mention, because you said um, watching Ted manage difficult people, I think this is season one. The dart scene with Rupert.
0: That is all my favorite Maybe scenes. the best yep. scene. Money, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so I won't good. go too into it. Yeah, but yeah.
1: talk about managing difficult people. That was really... when yes. he's like, and I didn't tell you I'm a lefty. I was like, yes.
0: Which is great because this also... Yeah. Th- we'll get into that this. That whole scene was just... Yeah. That whole so scene was fantastic. Yeah. And it also ties yeah. into how much... How well they... I don't want to go. We'll get into this in a second. All right. Right. Yes. Um, because it relates to like movie references and, and music references and things like that. Sure. But. Um, any other takeaway, like key takeaways or key lessons from season one for you, John?
3: No, just to follow up when you were talking about optimism because um, th- it's going to be a continuous theme that goes through, right? Yeah. Because he's like the classic over-optimistic yes. person mm-hmm. and then denies the stuff that's going on. And it, you, would, you, would, you would start alluding to and talking about, and this is some of the stuff that comes up, of like there is an equal balance that can be had between pessimism and optimism, mm-hmm. right? And pessimism can just be rebranded as realism. Yeah. Um, and if you can't be realistic with what you're seeing – then you can't move forward, right? Like optimism can be the locomotive after, but if you don't know what you're pulling, you're sort of, you're you're in real trouble. So, you know, I think that some of the conversations that I have with people is around that of like having an optimistic viewpoint of the future of of, of that, but having a real firm understanding of what's going on like right now, being able to acknowledge, accept, and then use optimism to move forward. And that includes like, You know, if you have a bad game or a bad day or things like that, just accepting that and then understanding, like, okay, what do I need to do for myself to move forward in a more productive way? Mm -hmm. And I think for Ted, he was just about, like, how do I keep coming at it with optimism? And then Mm -hmm. in season two, we see the downfall of what that looks like um without really understanding the, all the other stuff that was going on for him clearly like he's drinking like Mal mentioned mm-hmm. he's drinking a lot he's doing these drastic change in behavior things which mm-hmm. you don't like to see mm-hmm. so that was you know that that was something that I think was really important um and I think that again the show did a really really brilliant job of like Presenting that as his main like technique, yeah. and then the downfalls of what that can do, like prolonged. So I thought that was really neat.
0: Absolutely, no. And I think that they almost they don't ever say this or really specifically allude to it, but that you can kind of see like a bit of an IFS, like internal family mm-hmm. systems parts work. Kind of you see these players or these characters have different parts to them that kind of come out sometimes to their benefit, sometimes it kind of sabotages them. Right. Um. But it definitely relates to that because I feel like what you're kind of describing, John, is like it. It's really important to be. I guess in IFS terms would be like self-led, right? Like you are, um, you know, in charge of your own life, you're moving forward, you're optimistic, but you also have that critic part that you can, you know, is not jumping in without permission, but you can bring in to assess different things. You have, one of the things that people work on in IFS is like learning about their different parts that are kind of stepping in from time to time. And the goal is to kind of get them to work in harmony. And, and you can bring them in almost like assistant coaches when you need them. Mm-hmm. You, your goal is to not get rid of them all together. And the critic is a good example of that. Most of the time for, for people, the critic is like talking too much and jumping right. in. I would say with Nate, this is a great example. Mm-hmm. His critic, Talk, we'll Nate. get into him because <laughs> it, like, it relates to the whole like <laughs> dad issues that, <laughs> that really permeate a lot. I know. I know. It's tough. Nate. I know. <laughs> Judas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it relates to, like, the dad issues that a lot of the characters have. Some right. are more far along in that exploration of self. Mm-hmm. He's not. Um, but, you know, he's got this critic inside his part of himself that really, I would guess, comes from his dad, obviously, and just jumps in all the time. It won't let him feel good about anything. And so you start to see that that critic is a valuable part. You never want to lose it because it helps you negatively assess things that need, you know, assessment of negativity, right? Mm-hmm. right? So that you're aware of what's going on and you're not being, you're not deluding yourself. But if that critic comes in too much, then it just like it, it really just sabotages your entire life. Yeah,
3: and it can't be just, deci- it can't be a decision maker for your behavior. Right. Correct. That's where optimism can come in. The yep. critic mm-hmm. can give you, like, hey, here's the information that I'm seeing that yeah, you need to screen. work on, right? Yes. Like, these are things you're feeling insecure about, not thing. Correct. And then let's turn off, let's, let's take that information, put it through optimism, and mm-hmm. then move forward with trying to make these feel a little bit better. Yeah. When you don't do that, you're, you know, Sort of screwed.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, a couple other uh, key lessons I had. One was leadership can can come in many forms. I think Ted is totally open to new di- new ideas from anyone, um, which is a great leadership quality. I think this okay. is how. Now, it, it kind of backfired on him in, in the end, right? We we'll get to that later. <laughs> but him allowing Nate to really have uh, a voice in in play creation or in, in game planning and things like that is not something that most coaches would do. Head coaches, especially, and especially in like a, a league, professional league or that kind of thing. So. The fact that he is able to uh, keep an open mind is, is kind mm-hmm. of a good quality, I think, when it comes to leadership. Uh, the only other one I have was like, there's a fine line between superstition and, and routine. They kind of get into superstition in sports quite a bit. Um, the treatment room is cursed. Mm-hmm. Um, then when they mention the yips, they whisper and close the door, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> um, they even reference like Voldemort and yeah. Chuck Knobloch and <laughs> I was dying. Charles Barkley's golf swing. Yeah, yeah. so I was yeah. cracking up um, in that moment, but... I, I think it's it's interesting because i I think you see that, especially professional athletes, I don't know how how soccer players stack up in terms of superstitious behavior. I know. Um, baseball players tend to be extremely superstitious. Uh, I'm trying to think of – how do soccer players stack up? Do you know?
3: Yeah. Some of the – I mean I, I, on the whole, I don't, it's not like a conversation like it is in baseball Okay. Where you yeah, see like yeah. everyone go through their routines yeah. and like, you know, Nomar garcia Par is a prime example. Great of that, example. Of, like, great um, example. I mean, all yep. the risk things. But, <laughs> yes.
0: For, um, for, the, for the people under 30 listening out there, like, you know <laughs> – You don't know what I'm talking YouTube about. YouTube Nomar Garcia-Para. Yeah. <laughs> you'll you'll see. He's actually a great player.
3: Right. So, feel um, right. Um, yeah, but for – you know, I think – Everyone, it's going to come across for a large majority of people. Usually, comes up in like pre-war, like pre-pre-game stuff. Like I got to tie my shoes a certain way. I got to tape my my shoes. I certainly was a pretty superstitious athlete growing up, specifically in soccer. Like I had to tape my shin pads on correctly. I had to wear like a one of those like. I don't even know what they're called. Those like armbands for mm-hmm, sweating, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. completely useless. Yep, but I yep. had to wear it because it was like I played better with it. Um, so I think that there are definitely Go some on, certain, do I you know. To talk. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I got some work to do. Um, I don't wear that anymore. Or need to. <laughs> okay. um, I'll be on the lookout. Yeah, please do. Um, but I think that yeah, I think there's definitely like a good healthy dose of it. it. Usually comes up in like pregame stuff with like how they have to warm up and pieces like that. And it is it's hard because. Pre-game routines and getting yourself like settled grounded and in the zone there is this fine line between like these are the things you need to do for yourself and like and if you don't do these things it shouldn't affect your game right but for a lot of athletes that's a hard that's a hard balance
0: exactly to mm-hmm. exactly because yeah. we we preach kind of the you know the the need to really focus on process mm-hmm. and hold yourself accountable to process much more than results or stats or outcomes right it's like right you can stick, if you can boil success down to a set of habits and a process and routine, then you just trust that that combined with the variable of time is going to lead you where you need to right. get. It's not always going to be you know a linear trajectory upward. It's going to be some steps back to st- take three steps forward, but it's going to get you where you need to get. But the, it's very easy. That's a slippery slope. It's very easy for people to get into that routine and have it be either compulsive or very superstitious or both or that kind of thing. And, and uh, it's just it's something for people to watch out for because mm-hmm. I think process is so key, but it can uh, if you get, if you tether it to luck too much, it really can, can blow up in your face or, or cause you to have some, some difficult emotions that you don't need to, um, don't have to bring on to yourself. So, yep. um, all right so maybe we'll get into any other uh, key takeaway key lessons for you I okay I got it covered let's get into season one favorite scenes mm. madeline i'm gonna go to you first what was, I'm what was, I'm uh, uh, take it doesn't it, have to be but... just one you can go into a couple okay but, yeah
1: well the one that has to be named is the first diamond dog scene with roy yes
0: mount up which by the way <laughs> does anyone know what song that
1: references no. they play it in i think one yeah, of the episodes up. nate dog and warren oh,
0: and oh G, yeah it's, it's actually right. a song yeah i yeah. know yeah
1: Um, I just think that's like such a nice scene because obviously all of the characters like Higgins and Lasso and Beard and Nate are used to doing it. And then Roy comes in with his Keeley problem and like they're all psyched about it. And he's clearly not psyched about it. Um, But it's just really funny. And I love how that scene keeps coming up. Like I love Higgins wife calls and he's like, are we done here? And they all like start barking as he's like walking out of the room. (laughs) Like they just it's just um, it's a cool thing to see because it, it shows that there is like some sort of emotionality to mm-hmm. their connection outside mm-hmm. of the field work. Um, so that's – I got to say that's my favorite yeah. scene for sure.
0: No, it's great because it also it does keep coming back. So like yeah. it starts in season one, but the way it it, it changes and who's involved mm-hmm. over time kind of uh, continues to evolve. And yeah, that, totally. that's a great one. What about like you, John?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, definitely stole it. So now I'm sorry. Say, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> I, I think the, the like –
0: you stole, the, you stole the pink biscuit. I box, did too. Okay, I did so, <laughs> whatever, the man. Yeah, I stole the biscuits.
3: Yeah, uh, stole the biscuits. But I think the like the coming together and having that was just really really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know it kind of speaks to what you were talking about for season two. But it was sort of like the first introduction of like vulnerability of like for all those guys like joint vulnerability coming together and doing something like a little bit silly yeah. and funny and and stuff like that. But then for them to like really take that on and then have it be a place of support for everyone and everybody. I think f- through season one and two every single person who's a a dog uh, <laughs> a diamond dog has benefited from that group uh, that- group therapy mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. um everybody's benefited from that so i think it's really cool the other the other and it's it relates kind of to it but i this is one i, I die every time but higgins mm-hmm. trying to get through into the office <laughs> when he's trying to climb through the window and it's like forget it forget it um i thought it was kind of funny um and i just was like i think i was crying at that point laughing <laughs> so like watching him go through too so um that that was probably my one of my one of my favorite scenes like the cultivation of that yep. Roy and we'll talk about Roy. He's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, he's,
0: don't you dare! Don't you dare! Well, still uh, yeah, well,
3: well, <laughs> just a little piece, but he is one of my favorites, and just his like harumph attitude yeah. no, to, to everything—the growl, the growl, oh, the <laughs> so swearing—the like the, it's. It, we'll get into him more, but his introduction to that was really funny because all that stuff like faded away, and you got like a real. You know, the facade yeah. of yep. Roy went away for
0: a while and he got like some real, you got a real glimpse of him. Um, so I have to, I have to go here now because you just referenced <clears> it. <him. throat> Did you know that the, the actor who plays Roy is actually just a writer on the show? Yes. But then by the time writing wrapped up, he grew, grew so attached to the character that he last minute submitted an audition tape and said like, look, if this is embarrassing, just pretend you <laughs> never got it. And they gave him the part. That's so I mean, cool. yes. how could you not? I did not know that.
1: I also think that he is the one that gets pushed into most of the vulnerable places in season one. Like, I think having him be benched was one big thing. Or when Keely, like, makes him tell her that he likes her. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, it's funny how they play that against each other of him being like the really tough exterior character from the get-go but like he has so many vulnerable that balance, moments yes it's yeah. so
0: mm-hmm. great with the exterior versus like he's just niece. such a soft oh to All his niece yeah he just likes Forget fuck baby. yeah every time she like makes <laughs> totally. him feel emotional just yeah. like utters the f-word oh, my God. <laughs> it's great yeah um no that, i i totally agree and this actually relates to one of my favorite scenes I, i'm going a little bit out of left field here but it relates to the kind of um the roy one of the many times roy ha- had to go through something like that and it's the scene when Ted lasso lets nate talk to the team oh. so it's so interesting because it's like nuanced and it involves a lot of different characters in some subtle ways mm-hmm. but it also foreshadows a lot of the mm-hmm. things that happen with nate right mm-hmm. so he like he lets nate take the reins and really address the team with his his notes right and he's got notes on each player and they're very like i mean i would say blunt honesty doesn't quite capture it right it's <laughs> oh. like you know in your face Smarting the fuck up kind of like attitude um and it it was both hilarious and kind of needed for some of the players at the time mm-hmm. but it created a monster right it gave too much confidence to this to this person nate um with someone, he's someone who had none and to give him that much i think that much confidence instantaneously is a dangerous move i think confidence is something that like i think is best developed gradually i think when a person gets it too quickly like a child actor would be like an example mm-hmm. of this, right? When it, when it's the give when the wort the keys to the world are given to you too fast, it usually leads to very very bad results. Lottery winners are another example of this, mm-hmm. right? When all of a sudden you're on top of the world financially, but you've never had to like grind and learn the habits to manage your money. So you know mm-hmm. how, what percentage of people who win the lottery lose it all? No, yeah. it's like ninety over ninety percent. So yeah. that that's like an example of that. And I feel like with Nate, that's kind of I, I think Ted meant well and it was great in the moment, but. You know, uh, if he had stepped back, maybe he would have realized like that that might have been too soon.
3: Yeah, well, I think that's also mostly on Nate. Well, we'll I'm sure we'll, yes. we'll dive into a full profile <laughs> Very of true. Nate because I've got lots to talk about yes. for him. Um, But I also think that like confidence without self awareness is sort mm-hmm. of where like his like his trajectory goes. Like you talked about his relationship with his dad. Again, we'll talk about some of that stuff too. But like the confidence was for the wrong reasons for him. Right. And you know, Ted is doing it with every intention of being like I want I'm seeing you as a equal on mm-hmm. his coaching staff. And um, and that gave him a sense of like pride. He'd never had that before. But then it, there's no awareness of like, now how do I use this appropriately? It started was like, this is for my own internal gain. Right. And like ego was like, oh, I have, it's there. And yep. I can feel good about this, um, but not for the benefit of the team, for the benefit of the self. And I thought that that was like what that was when I what I noticed mm-hmm. about that like of course like I'm dying laughing about doing it super needed really really poignant and it, it was it was a funny scene
0: but you could see
3: like oh this could go this could yeah go yeah. Poorly. yeah yeah
0: no it's interesting and I, I agree with you it def- definitely on Nate because uh, you know at the end of the day a person should be able to take that kind of positive positive encouragement and support and go in a positive direction for it however I'm gonna push back on you a little bit. I think when you treat someone in a leadership role as if they're equal before they're ready, I think it's risky. And I think it can backfire like this. So I think it's on Nate, but I think Ted I think Ted should have known. I think if he was paying attention and didn't want to blindly make people feel good, I think he would have known that. I think and I have like a I'll get I'll get into this later. I have a little bit of a nitpick about Sharon Doctor Sharon Fieldstone too, because I think she should have seen some of the stuff happening in real life. I think she would have seen some of the stuff happening with Nate. And intervened? What do you guys think about that?
1: Well, I also, before I answer that, I think um remembering when Ted made that decision was like right on the heels of his like drunken night in the hotel room after the divorce. Right. So I think, and paired mm. with yelling at Nate that. because he was like sliding the letter under the door, the envelope with his notes under the door. Yeah. And right. Ted opens it and like yells at him. So it's paired That's with an right. apology. That's right. Okay. And then he's like, you i think you should give the notes so i am curious of like was that ted building him up leadership wise or was that ted feeling guilty Guilty. for the night before and then i totally forgot about that yeah Yeah. and then giving him this this platform to Mm kind of like go off of so
0: good great point i totally forgot about the whole like night before and the and the door opening incident um so in that scene i mean it's great because like he uh, he has some great things to say to each player, and Roy and him kind of had this reciprocal moment where Roy challenges him to say it without his notes, yeah. which was kind of cool because it's like he's challenging Roy in, in ways that are very helpful for Roy, right? mm-hmm. like tap into your anger, like what do you, you need to tap into that more in the field, and then Roy challenges him like, hey, if you're going to be uh, at the, the big person table, like get rid of the notes and prove it kind of thing. Right. So that was kind of like just the dynamic there I thought was really good. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't think she – correct me if I'm wrong, but – Rarely is Dr. Sharon in the... She's
0: not in that. No, this was... Yeah, she's right. season two totally. Yeah, oh, yeah. This was much later. Yeah. But
1: even in season two, I feel like she's never in the... Um, what am I forgetting? The locker room where... Yes, yeah, she's never in the locker room. That's a good point. Which is, I feel like, where a lot of these things transpire, especially with Nate. Yep. So, that's just something to think about. That's a
0: good point. Actually, upon rewatching season two, she's in the show a lot less than I remember yeah. from the first yeah. time. Mm-hmm. She's in it in the first two episodes a lot, and at the end... Mm-hmm. But in the middle episodes, like, she's kind of, like, non-existent. I mm-hmm. think they have one episode that's kind of about her character and gets into, like, the emotional stuff under the surface. We'll get into right. that in season two. But, yeah, I agree with you. She's definitely maybe not around for that. So maybe that's, you know, it's hard to pick up on that stuff sure. if, you're not, um, mm-hmm. if you don't have a window into it. Um, are there, any other favorite scenes from season one that you guys have? Mm, there's
1: so many of that. But... I know. Yeah. No, I think we can segue next. Okay. Yeah. I,
0: I, have one, I have two more, but the second one of the two <laughs> segues. So one is the karaoke scene, which oh, is like all yeah. kinds of amazing, and it actually based on a true story. I guess there is a Premier League coach that does this with his team. I oh. forget. We can Google it afterwards. I forget which team. You would know more. Is Tottenham is Tottenham a team? Mm-hmm. I think it's Tottenham. The okay. coach either before or now does it's, that.
3: I, you know what? It's so hard to keep up with who the coaches uh, the Premier League teams <laughs> these days because they change so frequently. <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, yeah.
0: So that was that was uh, that scene, that karaoke scene, is hilarious. It's a, a kind of an end at the, at the beginning. Coach Beard nails Lady Gaga, which is just <laughs> classic. Mm. We'll get into him more because he's got some random sneaky singing dancing skills. But Rebecca clearly can sing, um, yeah, don't which go into that. I'm gonna talk about that later. Okay, okay, I'll save that. And then Ted has a has an, Put a uh, in it. Yes, Ted has a panic attack. To let it go, which is kind of <laughs> prophetic, um, and this is like the start of the reality of Ted being endlessly positive. I feel like the rose-colored glasses kind of getting in the way because it's burying his emotion, that kind of thing. This is like when you start to see that yeah. kind of come to the surface mm-hmm. and, and backfire. My last one is the dart scene, which you brought yeah. up, right? Which is like the the, the him sandbagging uh, Rupert into being like a a dart shark mm-hmm. and into the competition to get. I believe the the deal was like he would let Rupert pick the starting lineup for the last two games if Rupert won and if Ted won he's not allowed in the coach's box anymore because he's trying to protect Rebecca um and then boom you know a lot Princess Bride he's he's also left-handed kind of thing you know comes in so that that to me is a segue into like some random funny things from season one so I'll start this off and I'll kick it to you guys Mm -hmm. the main one I had that's just like the movie sports pop culture references they're just like Mm -hmm. totally on point one of my useless talents is like movie quotes. I don't my memory sucks. You can ask my wife. My memory is terrible for most things. Except in kind of two areas. Clinically, I'm usually pretty good about remembering client mm-hmm. details. I think you kind of have to be. And then movie quotes. I'm not even good at like sports related you think I'd be good at like sports related data. I'm not. Like my brother is. Movie quotes, I'm good. And I'm just gonna go through like all the different if you guys have any to add, jump in at any time. But they they reference Princess Bride. They reference Back to the Future, where t- when the part where uh, Beards uh, mimics Doc Brown saying, Ronald Reagan, the actor? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> they have Allen Iverson's practice, or it could be, you know, talking about practice? Like, yeah. that's Allen Iverson. Practice? Um, it could also be Jim Mora, because Jim Mora was the NFL coach. I was like, practice? Oh, like, yeah. You know, that could playoff. Pre- playoffs. playoffs, yeah. Said playoffs? playoffs? Yeah, exactly. Playoffs? And I think they even say playoffs one time down, so I think they might <clears> reference <throat> both of those. There's Harry Potter twice, once mm-hmm. when they say Voldemort's name, with the superstitious stuff. Yeah. And the second part is, I don't know if you guys caught this, but it, it's in the scene, the episode, it's actually season two, um, episode nine, when Beard, Coach Beard goes out with the three fans from the bar yep. and they get into the club that they're not, they don't actually belong to. And one of the bar fans, in order to like convince one of the, you know, preppy looking guys that he went to the same private school, references Professor McGonagall. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a second Harry Potter. Oh, that happens. was a good scene. Right. Yeah. Oh, that, was a, that was a whole episode. Yeah. We'll get into. I have scenes, <laughs> funny scenes. Uh, we have talked about funny scenes from season one. For season two, it's less season scenes and just entire episodes. But yeah, mm-hmm. we'll get into that. So then they the believe sign above the door. Uh, I think is kind of a shout out to two things. One, the movie Notre. Uh, sorry, Rudy, where it's like they have Notre Dame. They play like a champion today, and they sure. hit the sign as they're walking out. But also Angels in the Outfield um, because it's – you, you got to believe, okay? So well, I don't know. We grew right up on that reference. movie, man. I know we're yeah. four years apart, but like yeah, I, I grew up on that movie. Um, great movie. Great movie, okay? And so that was that was kind of like a dual reference. Jerry Maguire reference, You Had Me at Coach. Where yeah. Roy says that's Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there was a possible uh, like underlying seven, movie seven reference because they allude to several of the seven deadly sins throughout the plot. I don't know if you guys pick up no, on that. No, um, There is – Ted does an impression of Kermit and Slingblade when when uh, he's voicing on the doc calling the doctor to check on her through like standard concussion protocol. Yeah, I don't know if you guys mentioned that. Uh, remember that. Roy has sort of an "It's not your fault." Goodwill Hunting moment with <laughs> Jamie after Jamie's dad punches or he punches his own dad. Yeah. They have a bird by bird ref. They have two book references actually. Bird by bird is a, is a saying they have about which sort of stands for perseverance and patience, but it comes from the, a book from Anne Lamott. They have um, – Ted's favorite book is The Fountainhead, which is actually my favorite book. I know I, – I don't know how you pronounce her name. Ayn Rand? I don't know. She wrote Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, yeah. I know she's kind of controversial. I think there's like some weird political things underlying her writing. Yeah. I'm too stupid to pick up on that. So I just <laughs> like The Fountainhead because it's about an architect. I mean, I just yeah. like the story and the characters. So don't judge me for liking no, The Fountainhead. There's no political angle to yeah. my liking of Ayn Rand. <laughs> Um, the doctor's favorite book is Pints of Tides. I've never read that. Have you guys read no. that? No. I've never even. Heard, I think I've heard of it, but I've never read it. Yeah. So, because um, he asks her what her favorite book is, and they kind of go back and forth. Eventually, they pull from the movie The Game with Michael Douglas. That's a late '80s movie. Um, for the whole Sarah, we're gonna get into this later. But for the whole Sarah Coombs angle, um, Sarah Coombs is the hostess that they, that, that that Coach Beard lures out of the club, saying there's a fire in her apartment, mm-hmm. and they, they say <laughs> subtly. Like tomorrow's going to be better for Sarah Coombs than any other day in her life because, you know, she thought her apartment <laughs> was burnt not down, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. um, that's a re- reference to the movie, The Game with Michael Douglas, where there's this elaborate game for millionaires where they sort of sabot- set up this like plot to convince them that their life is over. They're going to die or something terrible has happened only to reveal that none of that was true. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal being, I've always thought there could be a th- don't. I have never looked into this. It's not an actual idea. It's just like one of my tangent ADHD thoughts. But like <laughs> I've always thought you could maybe create like a therapeutic approach based on this. Like just the – like okay. Let's say someone goes through something traumatic. Ruin a person's no, life. Let's <laughs> <to> see <laughs> how they <laughs> <to> see <laughs> out, see me how me recover. And that be like
1: the out. next day. Surprise. <laughs> no, hear me out. Hear me <laughs> out. Okay. Okay.
0: Let's say something. Go- someone goes through something traumatic provided there's no PTSD. I know I'm going out of limb here. Okay? Yeah. Provided there's no PTSD, what <laughs> happens to them the next day? It's usually like the comparison, the, the black and white comparison to how bad the day before was makes the next day seem like the best day of your life. So like, I call it the migraine effect. When I was younger, I used to get migraines all the time and they were terrible. You ever had one? Oh, yeah. Okay. They're you? Nice oh, yeah, they're brutal, yeah, they're right? Brutal. Um, but the next day was like the greatest day of my life because it's like you don't have a migraine, so it's just a regular day. But by comparison, it's glorious because of how much like misery you're in. Anyway. So that's off on a tangent. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not buying in. Not buying in. But that's the plot (laughs) of the movie. They do. It's a little more development, I think. (laughs) Which actually relates to my last movie quote. uh, When uh, I think Ted says, I can handle the truth. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I, I can handle the truth of the fact that that's never going to be an evidence-based practice. Um, yeah. But that he references a few good men there. So yeah. move with t- uh, Tom Cruise. Any other ones that you guys picked well, up Well, on? the
1: only thing I'm going to say is that I think this is season two, the Rom communism that he says. I missed um, that one. I think it's in... Um, the rainbow episode like right in the beginning uh-huh. yeah. but I was like looking into that a little bit more and they were saying online that like they often reference romantic comedies throughout season one and season two just like very subtly
0: Huh. yeah mm. I'm not a huge rom-com fan that's why I yeah right. so I gotta look into that Okay.
1: Um, no time there are subtle rom-com. and blatant quotes but he does say rom-communism I think I'm trying to remember let me look at my notes it's like he's talking with the team and um, as he's a them he's talking about how you have to believe everything's going to work out in the end like mm-hmm. a rom communism
0: uh, okay got it yeah well, so, so like cliches from rom-com yeah of- okay, okay.
1: exactly so like the team always bounces back kind
0: yeah, of yeah, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Right. okay it's so, interesting because they, they reference some music too because i got the whole nate dog and warren g reference mm-hmm. for diamond dogs but they also like the uh dr fieldstone this is kind of jumping ahead but they she in season two she dunks on ted for the comment about doing therapy for free Mm-hmm. and she um writes she says something like the truth will set you free but first it will piss you off which i thought was from a pharrell song it is mm-hmm. but actually I, I i learned that it was first it was a glorious Steinem quote from the late 90s mm-hmm. she's a feminist so i didn't know she said that yeah. quote first that the truth will set you free but first it will piss you off so lots of good music and uh in movie and sports pop culture references there um for you let's kick to you guys any random funny things from season one that really like stood out to you
1: is this a good time for quips? I mean, I just think those are all the random ones. If you
0: want to, sure. <laughs> we'll get back to that in the second episode, but definitely.
1: Um, I think in the first episode, well, uh, I'm trying to think if this was first episode now, but um, like he's always saying things like "last one there is a scotched egg." Or they always find Nate in the underneath the bus sleeping yep. Yeah. because yeah, 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 yeah. he gets fearful that he's gonna miss the bus. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't get that for a long time. I'm like, why is he always in the baggage part?
0: Drunk there one time he did. Okay, but but time after he did. the
1: karaoke scene, that's yep. where he. And one time he up. got
3: stuck in there and someone else closed the. Yeah, and that, and right. that was the okay, first okay, one. Okay. I had. yeah. yeah. But there's and other ones maybe
1: where... maybe the one where he gets drunk and passed out is the same one where he gets nervous that he's gonna miss the bus, so he because decides he was drunk. Okay, got Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like those are good random scenes okay. that are funny. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, John?
3: Yeah, you know it's funny. Like from season one, a lot of the scenes actually involved Nate. Like my the funny scenes, like bringing him on, <clears throat> watching the the scene where he like addresses the the team in the locker room. I thought that was hilarious. Um, you know, some of the some of the stuff with him with other players, I thought was really funny. So. Um, and his character changes for me from season one to season two. Uh, but a lot of my funny scenes that I remember were with with Nate in them, which I thought was interesting.
0: That's a good point. I, I you kind of forget about that, especially when you, you know, I just binge watched them all, and like yeah. obviously yeah. You, you finish with season two, leaves a bad you know taste yeah. about Nate in your mouth. But mm-hmm. like they, they, he was hilarious in the first yeah. season, and and uh, the writing is just obviously fantastic. So yeah. um, that's a great point. The only two other two random funny things from season one I had one is the. Um, just the tea and the soda – like, Ted calling tea uh. garbage water. That's hilarious. <laughs> so funny. And then the way he spits up soda water tw- <laughs> twice. One in the f- – like, yeah. they bookend that. So, like, the first scene of him at the press conference, they give him soda water. And he doesn't expect it. Yep. And just, like, coughs it up. Yep. And then the last the, – the way the season one ends, he actually opens it up and drinks it and spits it all out on Rebecca's face. Yeah. <laughs> so, that is just, like – Great bookends for the for the whole first season. Yeah, and the only other one I have was the um, the plan flan uh, semantic sati- satiation that I don't Coach Beard does. This. It's where he keeps Ted keeps saying plan to Rebecca plan plan, and then he has a moment. I've had this with the moment with the word the before, where all of a sudden the spelling and the whole context of the word <laughs> makes no sense in your head. Yep, does that ever happen to you? Yep. Yes. Okay. Yep. So Ted goes like plan 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 plan. Plan, plan. And then, like, Rebecca's trying to help him out, but she has a British accent, so it messes on up even more. And then he goes to Coach Beard and he's like, You ever just lose track of what a word means? And he goes, Yep, semantic satiation. I'm just like, yeah. Coach Beard is low key, like, like, love him, genius, yeah. horrible with relationship choices. We'll get into that at some point, I'm sure, but like, <laughs> like clearly this he reads you know you mm-hmm. can tell he reads a lot and he's just yeah. a very smart dude yeah um i also love when he says baby, baby. <laughs> 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 yeah. i wish i'd written down how many uh, times he says that and what things are all all good references so that's yeah that's what i have any other thoughts for you guys on on the uh, things from season one
1: i'll just say i think when you go back because i went back for this they're building nate's their building needs um, negativity from oh, yeah. the start. Yep. So it's yes. like subtle. So yeah. even though you're like, he's endearing a little bit mm-hmm. in the first season, when you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, here are all these like small moments that he's actually being quite devious.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I can't remember, was the table, the dinner table reservation, was that season two I or think season it's one? season
1: two.
0: I think that's season two.
3: Okay. Yeah. It might be yeah. season two. Okay. Yeah. Great. So we can but talk, we'll, big, we'll talk yeah. about, but that's another sort yeah. of like yeah. subset of, foreshadowing
0: totally. for like the type
3: of personality that, that's like emerging for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Did, you,
0: did either of you spot that out in terms of like before you watched season two, did you spot out what was going on with Nate's character? I don't think I no. did. No, I like mean, just they... with
1: the dad thing. Yeah, definitely yeah. in season two with the dinner table. Yeah. But his negativity, no.
3: Okay. Did I can... not. When Roy was brought into the room as like another coach, I think that's season two though, right? That's season two. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So no, season
0: one, I got, I had nothing. Okay.
3: That was the, when, when Roy came on, I yeah. was like, you could tell. I yeah, we're pretty yeah. over your head. Yeah, at that point. absolutely. Absolutely. It's not okay with this. Yeah, yeah. we're going
0: to get into like, in the next episode, we're going to get into maybe predictions for season three and stuff like yeah. that. So we can maybe, we'll try to call our shot in terms of what we think, mm-hmm. you know, trying to zoom ahead what we think might happen or what you guys hope to see happen. So yeah. I got a few things. But so that does it for the first. We're going to break this into two episodes because we're almost at an hour now. Um, we'll do this, the season two of Ted Lasso in the next episode. So just a reminder to everyone. Um, you know, we're going to put any helpful links. Uh, I might put the recipe for Ted Lasco's biscuits Mm, in the show notes. Okay. So check that out. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Leave some comments, especially on this episode. We're trying to engage more with people. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter. So it's at Jotham L I C S W. My follower count is rising, Johnny. Just no, I'm just let everyone know. Be, be careful! Popular. I'm just getting started. Yeah, and I have some good dialogues. Don't let your going head there. get too big. Well, no, it's know, not about, don't I, I don't give a shit you about know. follower count. <laughs> I give, like if the follower number means more people are going to engage. I'm yeah. all about it, and yeah, it, it started to happen. Like I have a few people that actually rec- um, requested. Like I put out a tweet about like if we could do any episode for the podcast oh, about mental health. Cool. What would you want to see? I had one person reference. Um, Um, She referenced postpartum depression. Then she said, like, oh, but I guess you guys are are male-focused. And I said, no, like, you know, our our work is mostly with young guys, but the podcast really gets into a lot of different mental health topics. So we're going to need some help from Madeline on that postpartum depression episode. Another person um, requested another more deep dive into depression and anxiety. And then um, there was another one. I texted you about it. What was the third one? one. Oh, it was about um, how to manage, like, online – Life, oh yeah, yeah. like like personality, um, identity, online life in web in online, but also Web three in the NFT world, that kind of thing versus being yourself in in irl in real life and how those two mix and how to stay in a good place mental health wise which i thought was like a great request yep and it's something where look i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like we have all the answers especially because that world is very new right but it's i think it would make for a great episode yeah it's something that i think we should brainstorm about because i think there's gonna be a lot of people now but especially in the next five years who probably struggle with balancing those two things Mm -hmm. and i think Mm -hmm. we can get into like Maybe some some good insight into how to possibly do that. Sure. Um, yeah, well, I
3: think for a lot of people, like their online personas, value they value that more than yes. they do their in real in real life persona. So for for sure, like finding ways to talk about how to balance those things is both important. But you know, how do you how do you balance that?
0: Yeah, especially because mm-hmm. I think I for some people, you know, their their online life might be more authentic to who they are, sure. and they're just nervous to be themselves in real life. Right. For other people. They're themselves in real life, and they're using online to be someone they're not, and so there's a lot of different kind of nuances there that mm-hmm. I think will be really interesting yeah. um, to get into. So that that's gonna be exciting. And I, again, I, you know, we joke about like follower and stuff like that. It, it's <laughs> I'm excited because the higher it gets, the more I feel like we'll be able to help people. Sure. Um, we'll people because reach, yeah. the last year I haven't been trying to do anything on Twitter, so it's mostly just like thrown out some shitty negative comment about the Celtics just underperforming yeah. um, and not shockingly, I was at, at about 53 followers for most of the year. Cause I don't think people really want to hear that. Um, so i just learning. to really plug Celtics. If you're looking for someone to come on in and help,
3: I'm happy to, to come on in and <laughs> yes. do, do
0: some help for you guys. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We are we here. Need it. Uh, our hat is always in the ring. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes. Brad Stevens you heard it here you
3: heard it here first yeah Yeah. um
0: well that does it for today uh again thank you for everyone for listening to this episode of the grim drive podcast thank you madeline for joining us she's gonna be back for the next podcast episode about season two of ted lasso which we're gonna have next week thanks everyone